Modern Esther podcast is designed for Christian women who God has called to a career. Our goal is to identify the modern Esther in all women and to leave you feeling empowered with the mission to glorify God in your vocation. here with Danielle Pickenpaw, and uh, we are so excited to be back. We just wanted to thank you guys um, for tuning in a couple weeks ago as we talked about the other side to the Proverbs 31 woman. Um, just to recap, in case you guys missed that episode, uh, in that episode, we discussed the main qualities listed in the passage, in the Proverbs 31 passage, um, and we discovered that hardworking was actually mentioned eight times, and that is more than any other quality given to the wife of noble character. Um, we also just wanted to do a quick clarification point for those who were able to tune into it. Um, when we talked about how we wish the Proverbs 31 woman, or excuse me, how we wish that Proverbs 31 should be referred to as the woman of noble character, not just the wife, uh, like it says in the NLT and NIV versions, but actually in the King James version, it does use the word woman instead of wife. Um, so there's just a little bit of a, um, discrepancy in that, but we wanted to clarify that, that, um, even though we both agree that this passage gives high inference, particularly in describing wives, it definitely sets an example of all different phases of a woman. And in particularly a wife can wear, um, she can be a stay at home mom. She can be supportive providing wife, and she can definitely be a working woman as well. Yeah. And if you get a chance to listen, um, or if you didn't get a chance to listen, we actually uploaded a blog post, and that just discusses really what we talked about in that episode as well. So it's kind of the writing version if you didn't get to listen. Um, we are going to upload the blog post once a week on our website, themodernester.com, if you want to check those out. So basically, we have an episode, then we have the blog post, then an episode. We're alternating weeks. Um, you can also email us if you have any questions or you want to um, give us any insight. The email address is themodernesterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook or subscribe to the Modern Esther Podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, we also have an Instagram account as well, the Modern Esther. So we're super excited this week to start episode two as we begin discussing the life of Esther. Are yeah. you so excited? Oh yeah, so excited. <laughs> I love it. I am too, I am too. Um, we kind of discovered some unique qualities about her that we didn't know before, so we hope that you enjoy sure. these discoveries that we found as well. Um, and, it, you know, it became very obvious as we started um, this study that it would be too much to put into one episode, so we decided to break it down. And how we decided to do that is actually by this outline of her life. And um, it starts in, in growing up in this providence with the purpose of God and how she moves into the season of struggle and of waiting and how she, you know, is at the palace waiting to be chosen to be queen and she's there for a year long. Um, and then after chosen to be queen, she just is kind of still there waiting, right? Is, is this her purpose? I don't know. Is this why she's supposed to be there? Who knows? You know, what, who knows what she's thinking at this moment? But then it moves into this call of action where it is quite evident for the only way for the Jews to be saved um, from this decree is if she approaches the king. And 
that moves into this humble obedience stage of her life where she can choose to not obey and run, as many people do, or she can choose to go to the king and risk everything, and she does. And in that, she finds her last um, stage where she's in a fulfillment of her vocation as her purpose under God's providence as queen of Persia. And what we kind of realized with this outline of her life God revealed to me that this is so similar to other characters of the Bible. And one of my most favorite characters, even though he is a man, we don't have to hate men. We can love men. (laughs) Um, I absolutely love Paul. Paul is, um, Paul is, yeah, he is so great. He's, he just loves Christ so much. Um, And he, he has a similar thing. You know, he grew up with this purpose, knowing that he was, he was a Pharisee. He was growing up learning all about the Old Testament, all of the old decrees. And then he thought he was killing Christians in the name of God, right? And he had this season of struggle when God came down and met him on the road to Damascus, blinded him. So he was blind. <laughs> and then he was healed. And then he had this season of waiting before he could be called to action where he had three years where he had to learn um, under the disciples about who this Jesus Christ was and how he did fulfill all of these prophecies that he knew to be true. And then he was called to action to take the um, gospel to the Gentiles, and he did that. And you find him in humble obedience doing that when it was not accepted. He continued his stride. You find him in humble obedience in prison, and it's actually in prison where I believe his first such a time as this moment was born. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about that in that episode because he fulfills his vocation because without that we wouldn't have what we kind of know as all of the New Testament today, right? All of the epistles. And so we, um, we definitely saw that, um, in not just Paul, but other characters of the Bible. I just want to give you some kind of example, but then kind of, you know, bringing it home, we saw that in our own life. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I think that when Danielle and I originally looked at this outline and we kind of studied and formulated how we thought Esther was outlined and how a lot of characters in the Bible's lives are outlined, like she said, um, it was more of an abstract kind of thing. And I thought of it as, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's the story of Esther. Um, but then I started to think about events in my life and they really do fit that. They really, they kind of mirror, um, how Esther's life was, how Paul's life was, how some of those, um, other people's lives were. And I think ultimately what that says is that God is, God is sovereign and he has a, he has, his providence, which we'll talk a little bit more about here soon. But, um, so just to kind of give you guys background on how it fits in with my life. Um, so as a kid, as far as purpose, um, I didn't know exactly what God wanted me to do, but I knew, uh, that God had called me. Like I knew that I had, um, a relationship. I had a, such a strong relationship with God at kind of an early age that I was kind of odd. Like people thought I was, people thought I was weird. Um, I told Danielle this and she laughed, but, um, people like, I actually wanted to be a nun because I wanted to basically marry Jesus and I wanted my whole life to be dedicated to him. And so, um, that changed, obviously I'm now married, but I just, I just had this calling on my life and like my parents knew it, my family knew it. Um, they would joke with me, but I just, I felt like I had that calling. And I also, um, 
at a pretty young age, I knew I wanted to be an attorney. I read a John Grisham book, which he's my favorite author, and I just fell in love, and I fell head over heels like for this idea and this career path for me because I wanted to do that. Um, so I think I had a purpose, you know, at least somewhat of a formative purpose at an early age. And then, um, so I went to college and I was set out on this purpose and everything was going good and I was doing exactly like I thought that I should be doing it. Um, but then I hit my season of struggle. Um, in undergrad, things, it wasn't that things didn't come as easily for me, but I was just a little bit more distracted, I think, in undergrad than I had ever been in my life. Um, and then I knew I wanted to get done early with school because I, I, my plan was to go to law school immediately, but I couldn't do that because I just really didn't have a lot of money. And so I knew I needed to get a job. And so, um, I, I crammed all these classes in and tried to graduate early and I graduated and I did get a job, but, um, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to law school. Um, but then my mom ended up getting really sick and, um, it was probably the worst time of my life so far. And, um, I just, we had to be back and forth with my mom, able to take care of her, which ended up being the biggest blessing, but it was just a real tough time in my life. So I felt like I had this purpose. I was going through all these struggles um, and then there was a period after my mom passed away and before I started law school that I was just really waiting. I was just in that season of waiting because I knew that God still wanted something for me, but I didn't know how that was going to work out. Um, you know, I had this vision in my head of how it was supposed to work out, how my career path was supposed to work out, but I couldn't formulate a plan for that. Like I had always been able to do in the past. So I just sat there waiting and then all of a sudden, the year before I started school, um, God called me to action. I mean, he basically just kind of audibly told me that I needed to apply to the certain school, the school that I ended up going to, and then I needed to do it based on my test scores, even though I thought maybe I should retake the test. And God basically just asked me to step out in faith. So I did that. And it wasn't without resistance. My husband, <laughs> although very supportive, thought I was crazy for a little while. Um, a lot of people thought I was crazy Aww. for wanting to go back and subject myself to this. I understand that. <laughs> yeah, you get it. You totally get it. Um, but but at the same time, like I knew that it was a calling from God, and I knew that I had to act. Um, so I feel like right now I'm kind of in that hopefully humble obedience stage where I truly have to just rely upon God in school and know that he is literally giving me the breath I breathe. So he is going to provide everything else. Um, and then my hope is that one day when I graduate, that I'll be fulfilled in my vocation that God has kind of purposely driven me towards. Regardless of what some of our friends say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even if they do think we're crazy. <laughs> or that we should choose different career paths. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I, we hope that you guys kind of enjoy that, um, you know, that outline. And maybe, you know, with Amy sharing her kind of outline. And that kind of gives you this idea of how it relates to you. Um, we're going to put this on the blog, um, and you're definitely going to see it as we go through her life. And so today's segment, we're just going to be focusing on growing up with the perverts and the providence of God and how this is with Esther. And so before we dive into scripture, um, kind of wanted to give you a summary and the background of the book of Esther. It's unique in two ways. Um, it is one of two books that is named after a woman, the other one being Ruth, but it is also a book 
it's the only book where God is actually never mentioned. And there's a lot of um, uniqueness in that, I think. But um, this, I think, kind of gives an idea of who the author was. Many people believe that it's Mordecai, and that's definitely substantial. I tend to believe that it was a Persian person because a Persian would not have that belief in God, so there would be no need to give glory to God in that. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good point. But without God even being mentioned, you see, as a pastor said one time, you see his fingerprint all throughout it. Mm -hmm. And that speaks to why the title is called The Providence of God, because we're going to be talking about providence um, from the very beginning. And so uh, the time period of this is around 483 to 473 BC and kind of setting the scene. um, It's really important to understand why why and where we're at at the time. So the Jewish people have been exiled in Babylon for over 70 years as ordered by King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. Now Ezra chapters one through six describes the conquering of Babylon by Persia and then King Cyrus allowing free passage home for all Jewish people. It's noted that only 42,360 Jews Roughly 43,000, if you're including servants, returned to Jerusalem while all the rest stayed in the quote-unquote new Persia, right? So this would be in, this would be considered in disobedience to God, okay? Because Jeremiah heard it from the Lord that they were supposed to go back and they disobeyed, right? They got comfortable in this foreign land. So around the book of Esther, we find ourselves starting around 480, 483 BC, and we see that King Xerxes has taken power Um, In chapter one, it describes these elegant banquets that he's throwing. Now, while he's throwing these, he's sitting with all of his princes of alliance because he is trying to bribe them to go to war. Now, this banquet took place for about six months, which is crazy because I don't know where he was getting all of his money. And it doesn't (laughs) mention that. But, um, you know, some people, some pastors refer to this as the orgy. Um, I'm sure a lot of that was going on. We definitely hear and see in the chapter first chapter that spirits were there so there was a lot of alcohol involved Um, meanwhile the wives of these princes and alliances were being entertained by queen vashti and no spirits were mentioned um, which is interesting so this led uh, many of us to believe that she is very respectful so then you find yourself kind of going on and it says that while the king was in a drunken state one night he calls for his queen she was gorgeous he wanted to show her off she does not come Okay, because it was not considered disobedient for her to not come. It was not against the law for her to not come. And so uh, he, of course, is embarrassed. (laughs) He's embarrassed because here he's trying to impress everybody and his, he can't even, right? If he can't even keep his woman in line, could he really lead an army to Greece and take over Greece? And so, um, And of course, you know, she's gaining the respect of all of their wives. So if she doesn't, and there's no repercussions for her behavior, would that lead them to do the same thing? So one of his councilmen suggests that he make a decree that because of her disobedience, um, she be kicked off the throne. Now, from the time that this decree is is taken to the time that Queen Esther takes the, the throne, it's about four years. And this is most likely... When we're at chapter two, it's either three or four years after this. And this is simply because they go off to war to try to fight Greece, but they do not win, which is why it's mentioned in two, one after his anger subsided. Okay. So he's really mad. He didn't win the war against Greece. All of his efforts have failed. He's been working on this for five years and now he's lonely, but (laughs) his queen is no more. Okay. So 
Because of his own doing. Because of his own doing. <laughs> so now he needs to find a new wife. Right. So here we pick up in Esther 2, uh, 2 through 11. Then the king's attendants proposed, Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoasin, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Hegai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Hegai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. So when Amy and I started studying this, um, we did use many commentaries to dissect each verse, and then the theme of Esther, like I said, came up to be the providence of God. So when discussing what the providence of God means in the book of Esther, according to a very well-known theologian who has since passed away named Dr. J. Uh, Vernon McGee, he describes providence as the means by which God directs all things, both animate and inanimate, seen and unseen, good and evil, toward a worthy purpose, which means his will must finally prevail. And he also said that you can be in the providence of God without being in the will of God. And I think that that is just so unique, so cool, especially when you see this, because um, this was obviously a group of people that were in Persia in disobedience. Now, even though Esther and Mordecai, um, well, Esther specifically might not have even been born yet. Um, Mordecai might've been very young. They knew enough about scripture and they knew that some of their people were back in Jerusalem, so they could have left. But Mordecai worked in the palace. You know, he had a good Mm -hmm. job. They had a good living. Um, they were happy there. Why would they return? You know? So, um, they, they chose comfort over God and they chose to stay there. So that's their first sign of them being out of the will of God and in disobedience. The second one, what we saw in Esther 2, was this has been referred to as the beauty pageant in <laughs> Esther, right? And technically, excuse me, it's more like a sex competition. Yeah. Okay. Basically. Because um, Let's what we call see, it like it is. <laughs> yes. Because what we see in Esther 2 12 through 14. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments. 
And it goes on to say in verse 14, the evenings that they were taken to the king's private rooms. The next morning, she was brought to the second harem where the king's wives lived. There she would be under the care of a name I cannot pronounce, the king's eunuch, in charge of concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. Now, so this is this is not going to be in the will of God. And even though God directly does not directly ever say you cannot be a concubine, okay? He does reference um, marriage between a man and a woman and becoming one. So in Genesis 2, it says you will leave your father and mother and become one together. So one is not many. I don't care what country you're from. (laughs) One is always one. And so that does not mean um, that he would approve of concubines. You also see him disproving of this in David and Solomon's life of many concubines and how much destruction that brought upon their family. And maybe it was more of the fact, not only did he have this idea for what a man and woman were created to be, you know, he created only one Eve for Adam, but it became more too about them losing their faith towards him. As you see in Deuteronomy 7, 3 through 4, God commanded, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they will turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. So it's just, this becomes more of a bigger thing besides concubines, because here Esther is a Jewish woman and she is going to possibly be a concubine if she doesn't win this pageant to this king um, of Persia, right? And so they're totally two different religions. And, you know, the fear and the commandment of the old Jew Jewish law said that they were not allowed to intermarry of different faiths because that would pull them away from the one true God. It didn't have anything to do about different ethnicities. It was all about their faith in God. And so um, whether or not Esther wanted to be a part of that beauty pageant or it was more Mordecai pushing that, we, we're going to talk about that next week because that's a whole other, I have strong opinions about that. Um, <laughs> um, either one I think can be interpreted, but we will talk about that next week. But the third way that they were out of the will of God is um, they were lying about her name. Okay, And this kind of plays into that um, to serve other gods part because they were morphing into this Persian society. Her name was Hadassah, which meant Myrtle. And she was instructed um, in verse 10 by Mordecai to take the name Esther, which is Persian for star. So she was taking her Jewish name, throwing it away, and hiding under a Persian name. Now, this was smart in the secular world sure. because if she did not take this Persian name, then she could have never been considered to be queen because most likely the king would have not chosen a Jew. He needed to choose a Persian to be queen. However, um, you know, is the omission of truth a lie? Mm-hmm. Amy, thoughts oh, on that? I don't know. <laughs> You're the lawyer of the group. <laughs> well, in the law, maybe not. But <laughs> but I think, like, you're making a lot of good points about how she's outside of of what God wanted. But I also think it's interesting to think about this because... The per okay, so King Xerxes was Persian. Mm-hmm. He was not of Jewish faith. This was no big deal to. I mean, these things no. were not seen as a big deal to him. Esther and Mordecai, they knew better. They, knew they better. were they were of Jewish faith. They knew these things. They knew they shouldn't be doing these things, but yet they still did them anyway. So, yeah. and this is a shock too because I honestly 
I mean, as many times as we've studied this and known maybe about the sex pageant part, because I did, technically I did know about that, mm-hmm. um, I I just still didn't think about her being out of the will of God because they chose to not go back. Whether or not mm-hmm. she chose to stay, because she was not born yeah. yet, she just didn't choose to leave. Yeah. You know, and how many times do we in our life choose to stay in something that's more comfortable rather than to leave to go to something that's harder mm-hmm. to follow God's will? Mm-hmm. And um, and yet, God is still able to use her. Sure. Because he does, mm-hmm. and he uses us, and we see her turn to this person who is outside of God's will into this strong queen who stood up for God and her people, and she gets transformed. Um, yet God's providence never changed, mm-hmm. yeah. right? But his providence was great enough for her heart to change towards him. For sure, yeah. And I think... Um, I think that's a really good point too, is that, and I feel like the, um, her, her choosing not to go her and Mordecai, I guess I should group them both together because I tend to think of Mordecai as kind of this stoic man too, though, Yeah, you know, like he was her support system, but then giving it this other read, I'm like, wow, you know, like, although he, he was her support system. And of course we're not putting on our, what'd you say earlier? Our judgment panties. Oh, I did say that earlier. <laughs> we're not putting on our judgment panties. I said that off mic, but I guess it's going on now. <laughs> Sorry. <No. laughs> so we're not putting on our judgment panties for the third time, but we do think that, um, you know, it's just interesting to see this other side of these mm-hmm. two, you know, I think because like, and that's kind of what the purpose of all of this is, is to explore other sides to some of the people in the Bible that we've heard about many times, mm-hmm. but I think, I just think it's, it's really interesting. But, um, I also, so as we're doing this, I felt like, um, Esther really, like you talked about Paul, how his mm-hmm. life kind of followed that path. I always think of Esther and this isn't anything biblically based. So don't, um, you know, certainly don't think that this is theology, but this is just my way of actually looking at it. I feel like Esther is really similar to Moses in a lot of ways. Um, I kind of even think of her as like the female version of Moses. Um, they're a little bit opposite of one another because Moses grew up in Pharaoh's family. And so, um, he, but he was a Jew, but he was nonetheless royalty, not by blood, but actually by God working in his life. And then Esther, she grew up a Jew and then married into royalty also by God working. So neither one of them, I guess, were heirs to the throne by any means, but they were, um, through God's, God's plan, God's providence, they ended up in these positions. And then these royal kind of positions ended up being the springboard for them to save God's chosen people. So, I just feel like they're very similar in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. God's providence is definitely, I totally love that example. I think that was just such a perfect example because God's providence speaks through not just the book of Esther. And that's so important to see Mm because you do see that when you talk about the story of Moses Mm -hmm. and you see his providence speak in our lives today. I mean, Mm -hmm. God is unchanging. He is the same God. You know, he wasn't always will be God. And, And what is interesting about, you know, Esther's providence is that she was able to realize that her purpose was bigger than her vocation as a queen mm-hmm. because she was maybe to able to realize that her purpose was only her purpose because of God's providence. Yeah. You know, and maybe like taking that internally, maybe our purpose is only our purpose because of God's providence. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think, and I mean, we discussed this a little bit, but like for me, it really hits home when I think of the difference between providence and purpose yes, too. Absolutely. Because sometimes they're used synonymously with one another and they really don't have the same meaning. Providence is, I, vi- I visualize that as God's overarching plan, you know, mm-hmm. God's, God's, um, almost like an umbrella. And then our, our individual purposes and God's will is within the providence of God. So the Bible tells us that God's, God's plan, God's providence is going to succeed, but whether or not we're in his will or there's, um, we're, we're following his purpose. That's a different story that yeah. can be different. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, and tr- and it's true because Amy and I were talking about, and this is so good to bring up too because um, you see that you see that disobedience in Esther and how God God was still able to use them, right? Mm-hmm. So God doesn't care if you believe in Him because He will still work out His plan. Yeah. Um, but what is so interesting is when you talk about, you know, especially when we talk to unbelievers a lot, it's like, oh, yeah. I don't believe that God exists. I don't, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm sad that you don't believe because um, you, you miss out a part of, of living in this world. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't ever take, like, it doesn't take away the fact that God does exist. It doesn't take away the fact that God's moving in your life. And a lot of people I've talked to and heard their stories after they've accepted God, actually were able to look back at, in their life as an unbeliever mm-hmm. and see how God was moving. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you don't believe in him. He's still moving, clearly, even in this book, without you believing in him, mm-hmm. meaning that you can totally you know, be thinking you're following the way that you want to be following your own purpose. And God is like, that's okay, but I have my own providence, and it's not until you're in the will of God that you truly find your vocation in Christ. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, for me, you know, I think, um, you know, Amy kind of shared her story about, like, how they went through that struggle. I, I tell you something, purpose for me has, um, I, I mean, I remember telling my mom and dad, like, well, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said everything, because I thought, I mean, guys, I will still watch the Olympics and say, oh, I think one day I could be a figure skater. <laughs> Like, I mean, uh, my old roommate was like, are you going to study for a final? And I was like, the Olympics are on. I'm training, you know? So seriously, like, I just think that like, I mean, this is, this is when I watch like song, like the four, the voice, I'm like, I'm going to be a singer too. No, but it's just like, I think I've constantly been trying to, to find like my purpose and, and I definitely fulfill, feel like God has fulfilled my life. It's not that I'm searching for anything besides him, but I feel like I could do more and affect more to please him. Mm-hmm. And I feel guilty if I'm not doing those things. I'm not serving enough. I'm not here mm-hmm. enough. I'm not with my family enough. I'm not with my husband enough. Yeah. I'm not studying enough. Yeah. And then it doesn't matter. The struggle you know? is real. The struggle is real. <laughs> it but, is a real struggle. Um, <clears throat> if you're struggling to find your purpose, don't. If you're struggling fulfilling your purpose, don't. Providence means that God will provide in the purpose he has created for you. He is directing all things. He is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. He holds the world in his hands, but knows every hair on your head. He knows the names of every person that has ever been or ever will be born. And he still has chosen you to be a part of his story. Father, thank you for Amy and for um, just her friendship and for blessing me with her and this opportunity to talk about you 
um, and just grow and learn more about you through Esther and other wonderful heroes and heroines of the Bible. And I just thank you for for letting me know it's okay to not have it all figured out, that your providence trumps every single purpose that I've ever had for my life, um, that you are going to be there through every struggle like you have in the past, and then in the end you win and we get to celebrate with you. And so, God, please, um, just for every woman listening, just let us always focus on you and that um, no matter what we're doing, that your providence reigns. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this week for episode two. Yeah, we're officially moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> and we cannot wait to um, hear from you. So again, if you have anything you would like to share, uh, your story or any cool questions, insights, questions, comments. yes, yeah. please do. And uh, we will catch you in two weeks for um, episode three. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. God bless.